if you're not an only child, <clears throat> you know there's a favorite among your, your siblings, and if you don't know, chances are you are the favorite. Bittner family, there's like 20 people in your family. Who's, who's the, or Blake, Blake. Jill or Blake are, are the favorite. Uh, you know the sting of, of not being the favorite. Maybe you don't. Uh, but if you're not the favorite, you felt frustration when the favorite does get special treatment. You felt jealousy when the favorite is singled out for praise. As a parent, you can have a favorite ice cream flavor. You can have a favorite football team, a favorite pair of jeans. But it's wise to avoid playing favorites with your children because it'll cause nothing but strife. It'll just cause problems. God hates favoritism. In our biological families and in our church families as well. Last week we looked at being doers of the word. James wrote his letter to Jewish Christians spread all over uh, the the world at the time, uh, all outside of Jerusalem. He talked about being doers of the word last week, people who listen to it, people who put it into practice. He encouraged them to tame the tongue, to help widows and orphans, things we can't ignore, to not be worldly. And he challenges us again today with the sin of favoritism. Open up your Bibles to James 2. Open up your Bibles to James 2, 1 through 13. We're going to read this through together, then we're going to kind of work through it and see what it means for us. Let me pray real quick before we do that. Father... We thank you for your word. We thank you as we come to your word. Uh, We pray that the Holy Spirit uh, makes your uh, written word alive, that it comes and and, uh, sets root in our hearts, that we submit to that word. Uh, We acknowledge it, receive it, yet listen and do the things that you are calling us to do, all for your glory, because we love you and because you are our king whom we serve and give our lives to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Look at James 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man were wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over here, or sit down on my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
This is the first time James develops a single idea at such length, which lets us know that it was a major problem among his readers. Go back to verse 2, 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Partiality, favoritism, literally means to receive one according to their face. It's basing your treatment or of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis for how you treat them. Their face, their looks, their race, the amount of wealth they have or do not have, their, their social standing. Partiality, favoritism isn't compatible with faith in Christ. God incarnate, judge of all men. God shows no partiality. Jesus' table fellowship was radically inclusive. He came to bless all nations. Salvation is for anyone who believes. Heaven will look like the board game, guess who? It'll be very different. It'll be very diverse. There'll be no partiality in heaven, so we shouldn't show it here. In James's church, wealth and the lack thereof is what was driving this favoritism. Look at verse two through four. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James uses a story to illustrate his point. And it's most likely a story that's mirroring what's happening among the churches that James is writing to. Two men enter your gathering. A man with very expensive clothing, blinged out, tons of drip, as the kids call it, signifying his wealth and status. And the man, uh, did you look at her and ask, is that what the kids say? Lucy's not a kid anymore, <laughs> nor is she cool and hip. Uh, <laughs> all right. Hey, hey, easy. I'll edit that out. Um, of the, um, <laughs> Uh, if you look at the rich man's external appearance while telling the poor man who's wearing probably the only outfit he has and it's filthy, he says, you've, you've discriminated. When you say, hey, come sit here, Mr. Goldfinger, in this special chair that's, that's just for you. But, but poor person, you can, you can sit in the back or you can sit at my feet. James says you've discriminated, you've, you've shown favoritism, and you've made yourself a, a judge with evil intentions. Now, judging people is a position that God is in. We, we should not take up that mantle. It's a role exclusively for God himself. We become judges with evil thoughts when we show favoritism. Here, here's why favoritism is evil. First, it's assigning value of other people based on worldly standards. So we tend to take what, what culture says, hey, you should honor this person or honor this person. You should disrespect this person or disrespect this person. It's usually taking the world's standards and assigning value based off of those standards on an individual. 
Here's why favoritism is also evil. It looks, as, it looks at people as objects to be used. The rich man, he can give you maybe some of that money. Maybe if I hang out with him, my social status will, will rise. Man, if, if he just approves of me, that will help my self-esteem. Now, now the poor man has nothing to offer me. The destitute have, have nothing to offer me. In fact, it may cost me something to be around this person, to show hospitality, to love this person. It may, it may cost me my money, my status, my comfort. James is saying, man, there are, there, are, there are plenty of environments in this world where such favoritism is accepted. The church shouldn't be one of them. Think about the airport. If you're wealthy, you walk into the airport, they roll out the red carpet for you. Hey, you got money? Hey, you get to, to, to stand in the shorter line. All these other people, they got to stand in the very long line. It takes an hour to get through. Oh, and, and while you're waiting for your plane to board, you get to sit in this special room that's full of refreshments and drinks while the lesser folk sit out there breathing each other's air. Oh, hey, and when it's time to board, you get to board first. And guess what, rich person? We have a special comfy chair for you to sit in. And guess what's going to happen when you sit in that chair? All these lesser folk, all these common folk are going to walk by you. They're going to walk through your luxurious cabin like cattle, led like cattle, to be crammed together in the back of a plane. I mean, there are certain environments that will show you hospitality, respect, and favoritism if you have enough money and disrespect, dishonor, if you do not. The airport is one of them. The church isn't. Favoritism is wrong. Favoritism is wrong. James gives us three reasons as to why. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Discrimination against the poor is wrong because it's inconsistent with God's view of the poor. At this time, the church was made up primarily of poor people. There's probably wealthy people mixed in there, but by and large, in a very real sense, the ones who had responded to the gospel call were those in poverty. Now, does this favoring mean that all poor people will inherit the kingdom of God based on their poverty? I don't believe so. If so, why would God then command us to alleviate poverty? To help those in need. The poor here are those who have little materially Thus they turn to God as their only hope. God is on the side of the poor. Because more often than not, they're the ones who are responsive to him. By the time of James's writing, the term pious and poor were synonymous. 
According to James, the poor are wealthy in the sphere of faith. Their faith is real. They love God and live life with him. They are heirs of his kingdom. These poor are covered in spiritual garments that are nice, spiritual drip, Lucy, swag. Is that better? No? Okay, I'm stopping. (laughs) They are truly wealthy. And James says, yet you have dishonored them. Look at verse 6 again. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones oppressing you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? The very ones that God has called to himself, James is saying, you have dishonored in favor of the rich, which is inconsistent with how the rich are treating you. The rich oppress you. They drag you into court. We don't know why, but it was probably to take their land or to collect on debts that the poor had no way of actually paying back. The rich are exploiting the poor. These guys are clearly against Christ and his church. How crazy is it that you spend your energy honoring them while dishonoring the poor among you? And it gets crazier if the illustration in verses one through four are, are even close to reality. One through four is an illustration. We don't know if this is exactly what's happening, but it, but it could be. These rich men who oppress you and blaspheme Christ are showing up to your gatherings. Maybe they're curious. Maybe they want to keep an eye on their workers or gain more clients. Regardless, you are so enamored with these men, you give them special treatment while God's favored sit on the floor. Calvin said it's an odd thing to honor one's executioners and in the meantime to injure one's friends. Look at verse 8. And if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Favoritism is inconsistent with the royal law. The royal law is the Torah as fulfilled by by Christ, expanded on by Christ and understood in light of the gospel. We need to remember that James is writing to Jewish people, but royal and kingdom, they have the same root. So the royal law could be describing the whole body of commandments, old and new, that govern people who belong to God's kingdom community. And what two commandments sum up the entirety of God's will for us as human beings? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says the royal law, according to scripture, which tells us what part of the royal law that James desires for us to fulfill. And he references Leviticus 19, 15 through 8. Jesus wasn't the first person to say, love your neighbor as yourself. We see God revealing that truth way back in Leviticus 
This is what it says in Leviticus 19, 15 through 18. 15 through 18, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Don't show favoritism. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you show favoritism, you have broken the law. Look at verses 10 through 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We love to pick and choose what commandments of God's word we love to honor or not. We treat God's word like a buffet. I want a little bit of this. I want a little bit of this. I know this is good for me, but I'm going to avoid it. I want nothing to do with that. James is confronting us who who have such a temptation. James is here to say the law is one unified entity. To break it is to dishonor the lawgiver God himself and his authority. As someone apart from Christ, it's why we need Christ. Sin atoning work because to break one commandment of the law incurs debt and guilt. As Christ followers, this reminds us we are to follow the whole counsel of God and not just the parts that are easy for us. It's easy to say, man, I go to church. I've never murdered anybody. It's easy to say, man, I've, I've never committed adultery or, you know, I've never done anything that bad. Well, have you shown favoritism? Have you bought into a culture that praises the rich and wealthy and status and neglects the poor among you? I mean, yeah, a little bit. James says, well, then that's sin. Plain and simple. It's not actually that big deal. James like, no, actually, it is. It's sin that we must regularly repent of. And so you see these three things. This is why favoritism, it's wrong. It's inconsistent with God's view of the poor. It's inconsistent with how the rich were treating the poor at that time. And it breaks the royal law that God has given to govern his people. And so James goes into the so what here. Look at verse 12. So speak and act as those who are about to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one 
who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Sometimes we act and speak as if judgment is, go, is uh, far away off. Like if you knew that you were going to be judged by the end of the day today, how would you speak and act? Would you do it in love? That's what James is saying. So speak and act as ones who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We've talked about the law of liberty before. Last week, we see the royal law here. We see the law of liberty again in in verse 12. What what is James talking about here? I, I think he's alluding to the same thing. This new ethic in light of the gospel. We've been freed. It's called the law of liberty because we've been freed from the penalty and power of sin through faith. Yet that freedom doesn't give us a license to sin. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are now free to obey him. And that obedience will be marked by love. On judgment day, he will not ask us, How many times did you go to church? He will not ask us, how many Bible verses have you memorized? He's not going to say, hey, do you know the books of the Bible in order? I mean, can you? It's not going to be like Awana's is sometimes. You pass this test, you get your gold star, you get in. He will judge us according to to the law of liberty. Our lives will be held up against the law of freedom and he will test your life and my life for love. This doesn't sound like like Jesus. Paul would, would never say such a thing. Jesus says this, but I, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by the words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. That'll make you think twice before you text next time. Before you write an angry email. Before you lash out on somebody. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. But I thought we're, we're judged by our faith. That is true in a sense, but real faith produces love. We'll talk about that a lot next week, but love is a fruit of salvation. If, if our lives have been constantly marked by a lack of love and partiality, we're going to perish Because there's no evidence that salvation, uh, that true faith brings, is there. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you show mercy, mercy will be shown to you on judgment day. The professing Christian who shows no mercy and constantly lacks love through favoritism is someone who has never accepted and internalized God's mercy for themselves. Show no partiality. 
love in light of the law of liberty. Show mercy as mercy was shown to you. Are you partial? Do you show favoritism? I, I must fight the desire to show partiality in all different areas of life. Race. If I walked into a lunchroom with two tables, one full of people who look like me, sound like me, talk like me, same ethnicity, the other table, table full of people who are not those things, ethnically, ethnically, culturally, not like me, which table am I gonna gravitate towards? I mean, be honest with yourself. Our hearts can say, run to the people like you. They are more comfortable. There's nothing to fear with these people who aren't like you. I must fight that temptation in me in terms of social pol polish and dress. It's easy for me to show kindness to people who are put together and, and dress fashionably. I, I gravitate towards people who, who speak well while ignoring those who, who do not. I must fight that impulse in me. In terms of wealth, it's, it's easy to honor those with high-paying jobs, CEOs, directors, people of influence, while withholding honor from the downtrodden, dispossessed, and neglected. I must fight that impulse in me. I must fight the temptation to show partiality in my life. We together must fight the temptation to show partiality in this church. Is there really, is there really partiality in the church today? Is there really? Have you ever heard someone say, man, that church is clicky. This church is clicky. Have you ever uttered that? Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Have walked into a church? No one addresses you. No one connects with you. Everybody kind of stays in their, their own little groups. That is the sin of partiality playing out at a subtle level within the church. We must fight that temptation together to only gravitate towards people we are comfortable with while ignoring those we don't know People who are hard, people who are poor, people who are wealthy, people who don't act like us. Do you go to the same people after church every time? If so, I encourage you, fight partiality by connecting with someone you don't know. We must fight the temptation to only welcome people we're comfortable welcoming. I mean, we all run to the good-looking Young family, looking wealthy, all well-dressed. They have eight kids. I mean, it's easy to roll out the red carpet for them in a church while ignoring the elderly person who, who isn't wealthy, who isn't showy, who, who, according to the world's standards, doesn't have much to offer. We need to fight the temptation to show partiality with some while dishonoring and not serving others it's easy to serve and respect the wealthy while ignoring those in great need 
we must fight that impulse to make our church only welcoming to those of a certain status and unwelcoming to those who are often overlooked in society. And I'm prepping you here. And you may get uncomfortable at this. But guess what? The homeless rate in Castle Rock is growing. And there are churches that are getting together to to figure out how to handle this issue in a godly manner. But in no way are you excused from showing mercy to those who need it most. If in your mind you're like, kick them all out. Bust them up. Throw, give, them, give them all to one of them liberal cities. I mean, if that's you, I am glad that God didn't act that way with me. I'm glad that God didn't say, just kick them out. Get them out of here. Now, can we be safe? Yeah. There are, there are things to do to be safe. I'm not, not ignorant. But, but guess what? Not every person who, who is homeless, living in their car, is a dangerous person. You are called to show mercy. Support organizations, initiatives that, that are strategically looking at this issue. Not, not just in Castle Rock, but around the world. Stock your car this winter. Stock your car with non-perishables, with jackets, with gloves, with food, so that you are ready when you see someone there who needs those things. Winter in Colorado is cold. Years ago, I met a young man kicked out by his family. Not a dangerous kid, a goofball, yeah. But he was going to sleep in his car when it was like sub zero temperatures. Literally probably would have frozen to death. Guys, we're, we're to show mercy is, is what I'm trying to say with those who need it. We can figure out the systematic problems and all those things, but please don't pass people mercilessly on your way to church and come and sing about God's mercy. I'm going to say that again. Don't pass people mercilessly on your way to church and then come and sing about God's great mercy to you. We're to not show favoritism. Rich, poor, white, black, low status, high status, well-dressed, unkempt, We're to love people as we would like to be loved. We're to care for people as we would like to be cared for. We're to respect and honor and serve people in the way that we would like to be honored, respected, and served. We must fight the temptation to show partiality. And and here's how you fight it. You fight it by coming back to the gospel. Because I know that there's always this moment when you have those two tables there, or you have your friend here and somebody here, or you have a, a person who looks like this and like this. There's always that temptation to go, man, man, I really want to avoid this person at all costs. You come back to the gospel. 
Whenever there's a desire to show favoritism, you come back to the gospel. God had every right to overlook and ignore you. We are spiritually destitute, poor, difficult, rebellious, unlovely, and full of sin. Yet he came to us and showed us mercy. And through love, he sent his son to pay for our sin. Let us with mercy, without partiality, run to those who aren't, we aren't naturally inclined to run to and love them. So fulfilling the royal law of which we'll be judged by. Amen? Let's pray.